Thanks for downloading this status podcast. For more information, thanks for downloading this status podcast. For more information about status, visit our website at whatsyourstatus.com. Also, check out our conversational podcast, Status Solarium. You can find it by searching for Status Solarium in iTunes or by visiting feeds.feedburner.com slash status solarium. Heavenly Father, that's our prayer that we will adore you and lift you up as holy. God, we love you so much. We give you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Good evening, brothers and sisters. How y'all doing tonight? Okay. Okay. All right. Everyone still got their fingers from the 4th of July. For the most part, legs, arms, heads. So far, so good. Yeah? No? No? Okay. Fine. Sure. No, no problem. Well, welcome to Status. My name is Tom Gustafson. I'm a pastor here. And just want to make you guys aware of a few happenings here around status uh, before we head on into the message. First thing, as you may have heard us speak about in the last few weeks, there is a certain little child that we've been waiting on to be born. A child by the name of Kingston Lujan Loveless. And I'd like to cordially... Wait, I was going to say invite you. I, how about this? All right, wait. Hold on. Act like I didn't do that. I'd like to cordially invite you to hear the word that he is born... Huh? Wow. That was so terrible. That didn't come out at all how I had it in my head. Uh, but I wanted to also let you guys know that uh, Johnny and these fellows that were here with us tonight have uh, some CDs and some things for you to check out, and they'd love to meet you. So if you are, uh, you know, if you like their songs and whatnot, uh, they'll be out in the lobby, and they would love to meet you. Does that sound good? Yes? Okay. Heard one person. Very good. Very good. Um, as you guys know, a few weeks ago also, we launched a program called The Status Advocate. And uh, they have been uh, busy at work over the last few weeks, uh, matching people's gifts and talents with, their, with the needs that we have had in our community. Uh, we've had some awesome stuff from people getting help uh, finding counselors and, and, uh, and guidance and mentors. A few people have been working on uh, like workout plans and how to send out email newsletters, as well as people helping each other move houses that don't know each other. Uh, it's been a really awesome process to see uh, friendship and relationship kind of come out of that. And if you were... Um, have not been here with us, as we've talked about it before. Jason and Jacqueline are going to be out in the lobby. They'd love to tell you more about what the program is. Essentially, uh, if you're interested in serving here at Status, this is one of the ways you can do that locally. Um, basically, Status Advocate is, a, is an area for you to figure out and assess what are your gifts and talents? What are you so good at that you could teach somebody? Um, and then assessing what exactly are my needs in my life? Like, do I need someone to help me move in two weeks? You know, Or do I need someone to help me teach Spanish to myself? Or learn Spanish, which would have been an easier way to say that. Um, so if that's you, uh, if you feel like you have gifts and talents or things you can teach or you even just have needs that you could use uh, met, uh, they would love to help you with that. And a key aspect of Status Advocate, uh, something we deeply believe in, is the idea of reciprocity, that if you are helped, if your need is met, that you would absolutely meet someone else's need no matter what you feel like your skill set is because every single one of us has some sort of gift or talent or ability that we can teach or serve someone else in. Um, so if you're interested in that, if you'd like to just let them know who you are or learn more about it, again, Jason and Jacqueline will be out in the lobby. Um, tonight we are continuing along our scandalous series about the Old Testament and crazy things that have happened, and we were really excited to invite one of our very good friends up. Um, uh, from He's from Atlanta currently, but in the next year, he's going to be planning a church with his wife in Chicago. His name is Jarrett Stevens, and I'd love for you guys to help me welcome him. Thank you. What's happening, you guys? It is uh, good to be with you. I, it's, I'm really not here for you so much as I am for Josh and Rebecca. 
We are uh, longtime friends of theirs, and so to be able to be here, I mean, not that I don't want to be with you, uh, to be with them with uh, Kingston coming just a few days ago, I, we've been waiting for Kingston to be, it's like the long-awaited Christ child. Everyone was waiting for Kingston. No, it wasn't like that. To be born, and, uh, and so we're, just, we're so excited that we had a trip planned already to come down here, and it just absolutely worked out perfectly for us to be with them and for me to be here with you tonight and uh, they're so excited. He's great. He's doing great. I mean, as Tom so eloquently said, he's here. Uh, he's doing well. Josh and Rebecca are doing great. Um, I brought a picture just so you can kind of get a glimpse of him if you're interested in who Kingston is. I think we have a picture uh, that we brought recently. Do we? No? That's me. That's a very ugly baby. That's, there he is. Isn't he? Look at him though. You guys, it's a joke. It's not him. But it would be awesome if it was. <laughs> the most ripped baby ever. That's not at all Kingston. Um, he looks nothing like that. He, uh, but Josh will tell you more about that when he comes back. Uh, he's absolutely beautiful. I've got to see him. Uh, spoiler alert, he's really cute. And uh, really great to be here. And also, it's good to be... Uh, we love that Josh, Rebecca, and that status is in Orlando. Because Orlando, as you know, has offered the world so many uh, wonderful things. Uh, such as the Backstreet Boys. Um, sync. Uh, Little Aaron Carter, uh, O-Town, as those in the streets call it. Uh, but what it offered us this week was a chance to bring our three-and-a-half-year-old son, Elijah, and our one-year-old little baby girl, Gigi, to Disney World for the first time. And it was a lot of fun. Okay, you work there, clearly. Um, it was a ton of fun. And I, all the cliches are true. Being able to see Disney through the eyes of a three-and-a-half-year-old who would not nap and who wanted to go on every ride possible, and we, it, it was just awesome. And so after our third time on the Buzz Lightyear ride, we walked out and Buzz was there, like greeting people, the Buzz Lightyear, the one that doesn't talk and has to leave every five minutes to recharge his batteries. Um, so, so we got to go online, we got to meet Buzz, and honestly, you'd th- you would think that this was Jesus to my son. Like he just... He just is in awe of his splendor and glory. Like when he got to walk up to Buzz, he just kind of froze a little bit. And he was just so caught up in the moment. It was so great. We just took pictures. And he's just so caught up and so excited about it. It was so wonderful. It was such a great thing for my family to be able to do that, for us to be with uh, Kingston. And then to be here with you guys tonight. And I'm here to just kind of hop into the, the, what you guys have been talking about the last couple of weeks, which is sort of the scandalous characters or stories or instances from specifically the Old Testament and uh, when Josh asked me a couple weeks ago, he had a hunch that the baby would be coming right around now if I'd, you know, fill in and teach. And, and I was like, yeah, of course. And I was thinking through some characters. I'm like, oh, this would be, I love this story, or this would be kind of cool, or not quite sure where we could land on that one, but that would be pretty cool. And the more kind of I landed on it and, and, and wrestled with it, the more it became, uh, became clear to me that the character I was most interested in is probably the most elusive, uh, confusing, <laughs> troublesome mysterious character of the entire Old Testament. And that's the character of God, of who God is in the Old Testament. And if you've read the story of Jesus and if you've read the Gospels in the New Testament, it seems, maybe it's just me, but doesn't it seem at times like these are almost two different gods? The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. It's like, man, you just kind of have like different rules back then and it seems so, uh, you know, at the very least different. It's the same God, but it seems like there was different terms that he was operating on, that we were engaging with him. 
It's specifically in the Old Testament. And so I was just like, well, I'm going to choose D, all of the above. Let's talk about God as a character from the Old Testament. And so my goal for the next 30 minutes is to explain God to you. Uh, and I think, we're gonna, I think it's going to happen. I really think it's going to happen. Specifically, how do you deal with a God? What do you do with a God in the Old Testament who is more than you could possibly imagine, but maybe not what you had expected? Who works in ways that are powerful and amazing, but they're not your ways or the ways maybe that you would have picked or you would have chosen. This seems to be the, the tension of the entire Old Testament. What do you do with that God? What do we do? How do we reconcile that God? So let's look at the character of God. To do that, we're going to start in the beginning, literally. Genesis chapter 2. If you have a Bible, open it now is a good time. Uh, or kind of reach to the sides of the aisles. There should be Bibles there. Or maybe there's one under your chair. Or maybe there's one sitting in the lap of the person next to you. Just grab that. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. Like I said, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and look at what is one of my life verses. Um, uh, a verse that I, I really wanted to have read at my wedding. Uh, this is Genesis 2 verse 25. It says these words. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Thus saith the Lord. It's a powerful verse. The man and the woman. This is talking about Adam and Eve. Okay, the man and his wife. Adam and Eve were buck naked and felt no shame. So this is where the God of the Old Testament, this character that we're going to look at, this is where it starts with him. It starts with the creation account. And you can read that in Genesis 1 and 2. And then you get to this, the last verse of chapter 2. The man and the woman were totally naked, but felt no shame. There was nothing to hide. There was no separation. There was no distance. There were no conditions. They were totally themselves and they were totally with God. This is what God created and intended our lives and this world to be. That level of intimacy, that kind of uh, identity that knows who we are and who we belong to, that we can be totally naked and unashamed with nothing to hide, no separation, no distance between them. It's fascinating that this is where our story starts. And for these first two chapters of the Bible, of the Old Testament, this, there's this peace and this harmony and this beauty and this wonder of this relationship, this very real relationship that God had with his creation, totally naked and unashamed. And if you're asking me, you're, you're setting out to write a book as important as the Bible, throw in a little nudity at the front in my opinion, because it's going to get people interested. They're going to want to read on. I mean, the first two chapters, dudes are just naked, just walking around naked. And like as a kid, that fascinated me, that that was possible, and that it was real. I wanted that. I wanted the garden so bad. Like, that you, none of the picture Bibles that I had ever did it justice in any way. There was always the vaguely, just like, where did this fig leaf come from? Who put this here? Why is there a koala bear hugging them in between them? That's just <laughs> awkward on so many levels. That's so weird. But they were naked, unashamed. Even though the little picture books and little flannel graphs I grew up with didn't grasp this concept, it is important for us to camp out on. Because this is where the story starts, but it will not stay this way. Genesis 2.25 really, truly, isn't so much the beginning of the end, but the end of the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 3... If you know the story, sin enters the story. Sin enters our world through temptation. 
God said Adam and Eve could eat of anything in the garden except one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan tempts them, and they eat, and sin enters in. And with it, instantly, all of this is lost. All of these first two chapters is gone. And perhaps one of the saddest verses in the entire Old Testament, to me at least, is found in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had sinned, they realized that they were naked. And they ran and tried to hide from God. And the text says that as God was walking through the garden in the cool of the afternoon, as he often did, whatever that means, that there was this kind of relationship where he would walk with Adam and Eve every day, be in relationship with you. Imagine just walking, being physically present with God. As God was walking through the garden, he saw Adam and Eve hiding. And he asked them, where are you? Where are you? Or in other words, what have you done? Adam says, well, we were so ashamed from what we'd done that we covered ourselves and we hid from you because we were naked and ashamed. And perhaps one of the saddest verses in the entire Old Testament, God says to Adam and Eve, who told you you were naked? Who told you you had something to be ashamed of? Who told you you had a reason to hide from me? Where did this enter in? And God knew, obviously, all along exactly where. And he knows exactly where for each of us. At some point in our story, someone spoke that word into you in your life, told you that you needed to be ashamed or embarrassed or you weren't this enough or that enough. And it enters into every one of our stories. Still to this day, there is someone that comes along and says, you need to be ashamed. You need to hide. You need to run from God. That's a whole other conversation that we could have. But this story keeps moving on. Instantly, Adam and Eve begin to suffer a, a sort of separation. Sin brought with it now a separation. No longer were they naked and unashamed. Now they had to clothe themselves and they hid from God. And ultimately they were banished from the garden. And now there's a separation that begins between them and God. Which will exist for the entire rest of the Old Testament. Every verse and chapter, all the way to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, has a separation attached to it, has a distance written in it. That now sin has brought with it a distance, a separation, a break in what was such a beautiful relationship of Genesis 1 and 2. And while the sin doesn't change, didn't change in any way who God is, it did not change God's character in one iota, it changed dramatically in every way how we would interact with God. What Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, walking and talking with God in the cool of the afternoon, being that intimate, be, knowing exactly who they were and who they were for, and no longer would we operate that way with God. That this sin, this separation, this distance would now define literally the entire Old Testament and have ripple effects all the way up to us right now in this very moment. So what I want for us to look at is the closest then someone gets to that kind of relationship with God that Adam and Eve had in the garden in the entire Old Testament. I think there's one character who got closest to God, the very closest that I can find at least that someone got, and it's found in Exodus uh, chapter 33. If you have Again, your Bibles, same ones probably, unless you want to switch, but that isn't necessary. Exodus 33. This is really interesting. We'll, we'll start in verse 7. This is the account of Moses 
one of the many accounts of Moses. And he has a very dynamic relationship with God, a very interesting relationship with God, very raw, very real. Uh, Moses kind of sticks it to God every now and then, and God sticks it back to Moses. And they just have this, like, this friendship kind of relationship with each other. It's very interesting. So this is Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to make a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Moses not being known for his creativity. Uh, had that you know, been status that named it, would have been much cooler. Uh, but he called it the tent of meeting because it was a, a tent where they would meet. Uh, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. If anyone wanted to know something of God, they would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people, this is interesting, stood at the entrances of their own tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. So as Moses went into the tent, it goes on to say in verse 9, verse 10, this is how it says that God interacted with him. Jump down to verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses inside this tent face to face as one speaks to a what? Friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. So this is, I think, one of the people who had the closest relationship with God, and this is about as close as they get, is this tent of meeting. And Moses would go there, and it says that they would actually engage with each other and actually interact with each other face-to-face, like friends talk, okay? So now I want to show you in Exodus 33 what happens in one of those meetings. So you can jump down just a few verses to verse 18, Exodus 33, 18, and Moses is once again telling God what to do. Verse 18, Moses said, God, now show me your glory. So Moses has kind of been doing all that God asked, reluctantly or not, he's been doing it. So he feels it's his right now to see God for all of who God is. Like Adam and Eve knew God every day in the garden. Verse 19, then God said, all right, I will cause all my what? Great, thank you for the four of you who were paying attention. I'm going to say that again because I think it's a very important word. God said, verse 19, God said, I will cause all my, my goodness. Isn't that interesting? He could have said power. He could have said might. He says, goodness, my goodness, my goodness is going to now surround you. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And God's just letting Moses know whose terms it's on. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Okay, I'll do this because I want to. I'll have mercy on who I want to have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Okay, Moses, this is not because you're asking me, but because this is important for you. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. Exodus 33, verse 21. Then God said, there's a place near me where you can stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my what? My back. But my face just just can't be seen. He said, all right, Moses, look, I'm going to do this because I want to, for you. I'm going to cause my goodness to pass in front of you. But here's the situation. I'm going to put you in this rock over here, this little cave. Then I'm going to cover you with my hand. And then as I go by, I'm going to go by and I'm going to just let, like, open my fingers. Just, just let you have a peek, just a peek of who I am. And what, but here's what I'm going to let you do. It's just going to be my back. That's all you're going to get to see. You're just going to see my back. Because if you were to see my face, as Adam and Eve saw my face every day, if you were to see my face, it would consume you and ultimately destroy you. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the closest that anyone gets 
that I can find to physically, tangibly being present with God like Adam and Eve were in Genesis 1 and 2. This is for the entire Old Testament as close as it gets. So what does this leave you with? It leaves you with a God who has not left the scene. He's not abandoned his people. He's still present. He's just distant. He's still there. His love is still just as real, but you don't experience it like Adam and Eve once knew it in a real, tangible way. He's present, but he's distant. This is why you have to have pillars of fire, clouds of smoke. This is why you have to have the Ten Commandments. This is why you have to have tents of meetings, which would later become holy of holies and temples and elaborate systems, religious systems and Levitical codes, Levitical laws. And this is why you have kings. This is why you have prophets, these people who speak for God because no one speaks directly to God. Only a select few got to do that. But none of them got to see God like Moses saw God. But the best he still saw was just the back of God. This is the entire Old Testament. God is present, just distant, just distant. God is still there, but not as close or as near as he used to be. If you had to sum up the entire Old Testament in a word, it's, I think it's the word and. Because it's now, because of sin, God and us. There was this intimacy, this identity that Adam and Eve experienced with God, but sin comes in and now there's a separation and that word and sits right in the middle. God and us. Us and God. I think the entire Old Testament, any circumstance, any situation, any story, any event you can find in the Old Testament, I think fits into that category of us trying to relate to God, of God trying to relate to us, but there's a distance because it's God and us. Us and God. And I think that's that's not, like if you're remotely interested in going to seminary or Bible college, I just gave you a year for free in one word. You're welcome. <laughs> and it separates. It separates two things that used to be one are now, are now separated. That's the Old Testament. That tension defines the tens, thousands of years of the Old Testament. That tension, that reality. It's, it's knowing, but not experiencing. It's having to live on promises, but not having that presence that Adam and Eve had. It ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the stuff of faith. It's the tension, that dynamic, that for some will radically come to shape and define their faith, but for many will cause them to walk away from God. I know a little bit about this in kind of a different context. When my wife and I met, we weren't married at the time. Um, she was living in Chicago. I, was, I grew up in San Francisco, so I was living in San Francisco. I made a week-long trip to Chicago, and I met her on that trip, and I, I, just, I just fell in love instantly. It took her a little longer, but I fell instantly. And we were, like, I, this is it. I was committed to relate. I, I wanted to know. This woman fascinates me. That's the word I would use to define. She fascinates me. And so I want to know more about her. I want to be in a relationship with her. So we started dating long distance, especially show of hands, and just for a sense of 
commiseration here. Like, how many of you have had a date long distance? Have I ever had a long distance? Oh, it sucks, doesn't it? It's hard. It's work. You actually have to work. And what you have to understand is when we met, this is like early to mid-90s. It's when we met. We were like 11 at the time. <laughs> if you're doing the math. But when we met, it wasn't as easy to relate to each other over that kind of distance as it is today. There was no email. back. I mean, like super nerds had it, but we didn't have it. We didn't have it yet. There was no, like, texting each other. There was no Twitter. There was no, like, Facebook. Like, there's none of that. There's none of that instant sort of communication stuff. There were cell phones, but they were really expensive. Like, my mom had a cell phone. It was like one of those World War II ones where someone had to stand by cranking it, the giant antenna the whole time. It's very awkward to have a personal conversation with him there. So it wasn't easy for us. So to relate to each other, to be with each other over this great distance that we had from Chicago to San Francisco, we would call each other on the telephone. And it's like a phone today, but it had a cord that went into a wall. And we would talk to each other for hours on the phone. We would write letters to each other. It's this uh, paper and a pen. I'll explain it to you later. But we would write literal letters to each other. And we would express our love and what we loved about each other and all that kind of stuff in letters and we would send that to each other. Again, ke- keeping in mind the times, we would make mixtapes for each other. Because that's what you do when you're in love. I mean, how else can I express my love to you? I think this Elton John song into this Journey song says it all. And if you don't believe me, baby, wait till side B. Like that... That was how we showed our love for each other. I still have some of them. They're great mixtapes. I just can't find a tape player to play them in anywhere, but they're great, trust me. Right? We had to figure a way to sort of bridge the gap as best we could. But it wasn't easy. It was work. It was different. It was distant. And I must have told her a thousand times, she must have told me a thousand times over the phone in letters that I love you, I love you, and here's what I love about you. But it is categorically different saying it on the phone, writing it in a letter, than it is when you could actually say it to someone face to face. When I could look into her eyes and I I could see that same love for me back. When I could see vulnerability in her eyes. When I could see commitment in her eyes. Like fundamentally different. That was not for effect. (laughs) But that's how strong our love is causes microphones to flutter. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? Same words. Still had a relationship. Same words, I love you. Categorically different though in absence than it is in presence. And this, again, is the story of the Old Testament. A people who God loved, but there was a separation and a distance between people who tried as best they could to love God, but because of this distance and separation, so many times just failed miserably in his feet. This is the tension of that word and, us and God. That no matter how hard you try, it still feels like it's, there's just a miss, that the distance maybe is too great, that God, while he's more than you could ever imagine, is not all that you expected, that he's mysterious at times elusive, and that his ways are far, not only greater, just different from your ways. And my hunch is in a room like this, 
You know about that too. You know about that tension of and, of, of God and you. You and God. You've bumped up against that at least once or twice in your life. It's just, it, especially if you've been around, like you've been a, a, a Christian for a long time, you know it on a pretty real level. Because like when you first maybe became a Christian, man, you would like open the Bible and it would literally sing at you, like those cards that play songs, like you would open it, it would just like say truth to you. You're like, oh my God, it's awesome. And like you wanted to talk about God all the time, and, but you're so excited and it was, it was so fresh and so new and so life-changing. But it's been 10 years now or 15 years now or five years now and it's just not. It's just not like that anymore. It's a lot more complicated, isn't it? And it doesn't work out like it did maybe in those first couple seasons. You know a little bit about that tension of and, of how hard it is to relate to a God who's present but at times feels or seems distant. If you've prayed for something consistently, fervently would be a nice Bible word. If you've prayed over and over and over again and yet have seen God do little to answer your prayer, little to move on your behalf, little to heal the person that you have been praying for, to end the pain that you are experiencing. If you've prayed those prayers and haven't heard God at least work or answer on your terms, then you know about this. You know it all too well. A friend of mine um, was recently telling me this is awesome. He can't figure out what to do with his life. And I meet more guys in their late 20s and 30s who can't figure that out either. Can I get an amen from the ladies on that? <laughs> he just can't figure it out. He just doesn't know what to do with his life. He can't seem to, anything like job he has just isn't working out for him. In fact, he's failing at them. And he doesn't have direction for his life, so he doesn't know what to do next. And if you've kind of been in that spot, you kind of know some of that. I'm just like, man, I don't, what am I supposed to do? I've tried, like, it's been six months since I've worked. God, where are you in this? This isn't what I expected. This isn't what I thought. I thought, like, you're supposed to give me stuff, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Like, we're on each other's side now? How come it's not working like that now, God? How come I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, God? This friend of mine was telling me all this, and he says to me after, like, yeah, I tried this, I tried this, and it didn't work, and I don't know what to do with my life, so I'm starting to wonder... Like, maybe I'm supposed to go work for the church. I'm like, I don't think that. No, I don't. Please don't. God, we have enough of you already. Please don't. This church isn't a place that you go when you can't figure out what to do with your life. Please. It's not it. But he's living in that tension right now. Maybe you are too. God, why can't you, why won't you just tell me? Why won't you just sort of reveal this or make it happen? There's a woman that I work with, and uh, she was telling me, her, I mean, I know her story very well, but she's going into detail about it the other day. She has a condition called alopecia, which I doubt you probably have ever heard of, but it's a condition where without any control or any way of stopping it, you lose your hair. And there's some guys who are like, yeah, that's totally what I have. No, you don't. This is for real. And so at 10, her hair started falling out. So just remember back to third grade and how well third graders handle that. Just wrecked her identity. God, why would you let this happen to me? What have I, I'm 10 years old. Why, why, what have I done that you would do this to me, was her mentality. 
And so she went all the way through high school wearing wigs. And then in her 20s, out of nowhere, her hair grows back. (laughs) She grows back one day. And so everyone's response is, oh, God moved on your behalf, and oh, you have hair, and it's so awesome. Like, and it was. It was just like this miracle grow. It was just it was awesome. <laughs> and then in her 30s, she lost it all again. For no reason. And she can express way more articulately than I can that pain that maybe you know when something about you physically isn't what you thought it was supposed to be that you didn't want or you didn't choose and you seem powerless to do anything against it and so you've turned to God and asked and begged and pleaded and nothing's changed or nothing's worked according to how you would want it to. Do you know that? I mean, my hunch is you probably know some of that. My hunch is for some of you that every wedding that you go to that's not yours, you feel a little of the tinge of that word and. Because you're watching all your friends and they're happy and they're kind of starting that season of life and you're wondering, God, am I going to be single the rest of my life? Is that just kind of it? I, I'm not choosing that. That's not what I had planned. I was supposed to be married five years ago according to my plan. God, where are you in that? Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe... Uh, and this is one that's been very real for me, you've lost someone close to you that you love, someone very close to you. And it could be, as, um, I won't say as simple, but it could be the loss of a, a relationship, maybe a friendship or a dating relationship, and that loss is just so devastating and deeply felt in your life, or it could be the physical death of someone that you love. And this September will be five years since my father-in-law died quite suddenly. And he was the most physically fit guy in our whole family. He actually died in the middle of a triathlon. I mean, he, he I was going to say he ran laps around us. He literally did. So fit. And because of some heart failure and then just poor medical attention, he's gone. He's dead. And I have to go, I have to go now tell my wife that her hero just died. I have to go tell my wife that her dad's dead. And he's my hero, too. He's in every way my father, too. And he and I had such a phenomenal relationship. I love this guy. I mean, I had a Monday night when I was finishing Bible college. I had a Monday night class that was close to where he lived. He and and Jeannie's mom lived. So I'd stop there on my way and have dinner. I'd say at least half, if not 70% of the time, we'd end up ordering a pizza and watching wrestling together instead of me going to my Romans class. It was much more engaging than my Romans class. The week that he died, he and I had tickets. He died on a Sunday. We had tickets for that Wednesday night to go see Parliament Funkadelic concert together. P-Funk All-Stars. If you don't know who that is, ask someone who's way cooler than you afterwards and they'll tell you. (laughs) You know who they are. This is a guy that I just adored. I loved. And now he's gone. I mean, there's nothing I can do, but he's gone. If you've suffered that kind of loss, you know, don't you? God, where are you in this? And for a year, I entered into that tension of and. God, I know that you're out there. I'm not doubting your existence. I'm not going to walk away from you. But this isn't what I wanted. This isn't how I thought you worked. These are not my terms, God. And they better not be yours. 
And anytime someone would come up to me and say, you know, it's okay. God's got a plan. He just, he sees the bigger story. He needed him in heaven. I just would punch him in the teeth if I could. I just would take it, pow, right in the teeth. Just let him know. Doesn't help right now. Because I want him back. Right? You know, it's like, I don't care about your bumper sticker theology. I want him back. And if you know that kind of loss, you've suffered that, it can send you right into that tension that hundreds and thousands, literally millions of people experienced over thousands and thousands of years, the whole of the Old Testament. God, I know that you're there, but I can't see you. I can't feel you. I can't interact with you like Genesis 1 and 2. And God, I don't see the bigger picture of what's coming in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that there is one coming who's called Emmanuel, the name that literally means God, what? With us. Okay, I can't see that yet, God, that Jesus is coming. I can't see the bigger story. I can't see the bigger story of Colossians 1.27, where Paul says, literally, all the power which dwelt, all the power of God which dwelt in Christ Jesus now dwells in you. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus, all of God's power which is in Jesus is now in you. That God is not just with you, he's actually in you. That's the truth of the whole story. But I can't see that from this vantage point, from this season of and, from this tension that occupies the entire Old Testament. I have the promises. I know that it's true. But right now, I'm just not there. And that may be exactly where you're at. And if it's not, you're like, man, it's kind of a bummer tonight. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, not just because of some cosmic card game that you're just going to get dealt your hand. It's actually a way that God uses to lovingly break us down to total dependence on him and not on our jobs or our relationships or our spouses or our father-in-laws. It's a way that God uses circumstances in this season of and to build and grow our dependence and our faith in him. And here's what it looked like for me. When I walked into that after my father-in-law died and I was just so pissed at God. I just didn't understand where he was at in that. It took a year of me going to breakfast every Tuesday morning with a spiritual mentor. And she just would walk me through it. We had to work it out, me and God. We had to work it out. Because the relationship with God that I'd built up to that point was not based in reality, was not based in this tension I thought the point of God was to save me from all of that. But I chose in that season to dive in, to say, okay, wait a second, God. I don't get you. I don't understand you. This doesn't make sense to me. But I'm going to stay with you to see if you've got something that I can't see. And it's typically at this intersection, it's typically at these crossroads where life and pain and disappointment meet with God that usually people make the biggest, dumbest mistakes of their life. Because we don't want to deal with that tension. We don't want to deal with that disappointment. We don't want to deal with that anger. So we just hop into another relationship. Or we just make this totally stupid financial decision to help us alleviate having to deal with that. Or we just choose a career path that absolutely makes no sense. Or we begin to slowly just walk away from it all. Because it's not what I expected and it's not what I thought. And while God is more than I could ever possibly imagine, this is not what I expected. 
It's at this crossroads, maybe that you're at tonight, with the temptation to walk away or to just choose some other way that promises you escape from that is most real. And I just want to encourage you from the story of the Old Testament, from every story in the Old Testament, to just stay. To stay, to stay, to wait on God. To stay and wait on God. It's not easy. It's not emotionally satisfying. You probably want to punch me in the teeth if you're in one of those seasons right now. But I want to challenge you and encourage you to stay. And I want to read to you a passage from Psalm 27. This comes from David. And if the Bible were ever set to music, Psalms would be the blues. Because David just says it's so real and he says it so poignantly. And this is Psalm 27, starting verse 7. And maybe this resonates with you. Maybe you can cling to this tonight if you're in that season. Or maybe you'll write this down and remember this for when that season, that tension of and comes to your life. Psalm 27, verse 7. David says, listen, God, I'm calling at the top of my lungs. Be good to me. Answer me. When my heart whispered, seek God, my whole being replied, I am seeking him now. So don't hide from me now, God. You've always been right there for me. Don't turn your back on me now. Don't throw me out. Don't abandon me. You've always kept the door open. My father and mother walked out and left me, but God took me in. So point me down your highway, God. Direct me along your well-lighted street. Show my enemies whose side you're on. This is David keeping it real. Show my enemy whose side you're on. Don't throw me to those dogs, those liars who are out to get me, filling the air with their threats, because I'm sure now that I will see God's what? Goodness. There it is again. In the exuberant earth. So stay with God. Take heart. Don't quit. And David says it one more time. Stay with God. Stay with God. It's not the easiest thing to do. I wish I had a a more practical explanation of it for you, how it all works. I wish I had three prayers to pray, four steps to take. They'd all have the same letters so that you can remember it, write it down in a journal that you'll never look at again. But maybe that's just the thing that you need to hear right now. Stay with God. And if you're in that tension, the tension that occupies the entire Old Testament, those words will know exactly where to go. God will use those words to the Holy Spirit to take him right exactly to a situation or a place right now, a decision, a point of tension, a point of disappointment with God that you need to hear those words. Just stay, stay, stay. Because you will see his face. You will. It may feel like it's only a glimpse at his back through his fingers, but you will, if you stay, you will see God. That's the story of the Bible. That is our story if we will stay. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm actually going to have you ask you to pray. And if you would, close your eyes just to knock out any distraction that might be around you. That's the only reason to do that, just to focus in and to look at your life and examine your life. 
and go, God, is there any place where I'm in that tension right now where things aren't working like I thought they would? Any relationship, any loss, any disappointment, any tension, any difficulty, God, that maybe came on in a fury or has been building over the years? God, I ask right now on behalf of my brothers and sisters here that you would illuminate that right now, that you would bring that to the front. And that those words written by David in his greatest hour of need, in his tension, would ring true tonight. And if we stay, if we stay, if we stay, we will see you. You have not left us, God. You have not gone away. But you may not be moving like we thought, we wanted, we hoped, or expected. But God, will you move in your way, in your time, in our life? Give us the courage, God, to stay and wait for you. And not to rush off, God, to something that looks like it's less complicated, easier. But to stay, to stay, so that we can see your face and experience you, God. Thank you that you love us so much, God, that you have never left and you've never walked away. Even in our greatest hour of sin and separation from you, you have stayed. And your love is real, and it's available to us right now. We pray that we would believe those words tonight. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. To contact us, you can send an email to podcast at whatsyourstatus.com. Also, remember to check out the Status Solarian Podcast.